Thanksgiving is coming Thursday, and uh, I know that some of you know me. i got to be honest with you. I have listened to some instrumental Christmas music. I know, I know. I'm, I'm really getting worn down here, but typically I don't like to listen to Christmas music till after Thanksgiving, and here's why, because we, we miss out on giving thanks. Thanksgiving is something that not we're, we're called not just to do one day a, a year, but we're to give thanks what does the Bible say? Continually. Give thanks continually. And so I don't know why we uh, have to miss out on giving thanks and go right from that to getting presents. So, so anyway, I, I, I want us to focus on Thanksgiving. And in light of Thanksgiving coming, one of the things that we think about is giving thanks. But along with that and overarching in that is the idea of praise, of, of giving thanks in praise. And and in worship. And so today what I'd like to do is I'd like to start looking at what is worship. We have uh, started this series on credo, which again, just so you know, the definition of credo is a set of beliefs that guides the way an individual or a group lives. So it's these beliefs that cause us to live in a certain way. And so today we're going to ask this question, what does it mean or what really is worship? And in order to start off, I want to give you a principle. It's not the principle of the morning, but it is a principle that I think is pretty true and a principle that I think will help us understand chapters 4 and 5 in the book of Revelation. And the principle is this. Elevation brings greater illumination. Elevation brings greater illumination. Let me see if I can give you a few examples. First of all, think of a football team. They go to a, a game, and, and you know what they do? They have a member of their coaching staff up in the box, up high in the, in the bleachers. Why is that? So that that coach can look out over the whole field and see from a bird's eye view what's going on. He can see the, what, what the defense or the other team is doing defensively and offensively. He can see where their weaknesses and strengths are as a team, as they play this team. He's up high because elevation brings greater illumination. Some of you hunt. You know that elevation brings greater illumination when you're hunting. You get up high and you take a a, a spot, you stand for a while, and you get your binoculars out and you glass. And and if you're up high, you're able to see a greater area. And you're able to see. That's how my son Caleb, years ago, got his first elk. He and Mark were kind of going through this valley area, and I was going around the ridge along with Mark's brother Joe, and, and all of a sudden I see a herd of elk. Mark and Caleb were right in the middle of it, and so I called. (laughs) Cell phones. That's kind of cheating when you're hunting, it seems. But anyway, I I called and let them know they were right there. They didn't see him, but I was up high. I was able to see him, and Caleb was able to get his first elk along with Mark that day because elevation brought greater illumination. As you uh, ladies go shopping, Christmas shopping, uh, you go to a mall, maybe in Portland, and, and if you're not looking on a map, sometimes you want to get up high on the second, third floor of that mall, and, and you just kind of take an overview of the stores that are there so you can plan out where you want to go. Well, I know better. Women want to go every store, right? But if you're a guy, that's what you do. I'm only going to go there and there, and we're done. Anyway, so so elevation brings greater illumination, and sadly right now we've been reading and, and hearing about the reports coming out of California and, and the fire that has brought devastation there. Two, over 200, and I, I just read recently, 240,000 acres 
uh, the, whole, the whole town. Um, what is it? What was it? Paradise. Yeah, I wanted to say pleasant, but I knew it wasn't pleasant. Paradise, 27,000 people. The town is gone, burnt up, just in a matter of hours. It's gone. And 71 people, last I heard, had lost their lives, and there were like over 1,000 unaccounted for. What a huge devastation this is. But, but one of the things that you recognize in fighting fire is that they will send somebody up in a plane or a helicopter who can get this bird's-eye view of the whole fire and, and kind of give commands from that, telling how to fight this fire. Why? Because elevation brings greater illumination. So it's true. It's true on the football field. It's true when you're hunting. It's true when you're at the mall. And it's true when you're fighting fires that elevation brings greater illumination. But I want to say to you this morning, it's also true when you want to find out what authentic, genuine worship is. Elevation brings greater illumination in worship. And so what I like to do in Revelation chapter 4 is to recognize that what this is is a scene in heaven. You can't get more elevated than that. This is the Apostle John who's, who's allowed to go into the very throne room, not of just an earthly king, but of God himself, the sovereign God, the ruler, the creator, the one who is over and above every other created thing. John gets this picture of this throne room, and what we discover is this elevation brings great illumination. If you and I are wondering, what does it really mean to worship God? And so would you read with me? Beginning at verse 1 of Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to read two chapters, so hold on, okay? Keep in gear. Keep your mind in gear, okay? Verse 1 of Revelation chapter 4. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. 
For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea, or excuse me, under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And Father, it is our desire today to, from this elevated view of worship that goes on around your throne, to discover what true worship is. Help us, Father, we pray, to understand your word. Help us, Father, to understand it, but also to live it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin this morning, I, I just want us to consider three distinctive traits of true worship. Three distinctive uh, 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 notions, three distinctive characteristics of what true true worship is. See, because I know and you know as well that worship is uh, one of those things that uh, there's been much differences of opinion on. I grew up in church ever since I can remember. Music and the style of music has been big. It's been the, the subject of many debate. Should we listen to sing hymns? Should we sing choruses? Should we raise our hands? Should we clap our hands? Should we kneel? Should we lay down before the Lord? Should we get joyful and excited and celebrate? Or should we be solemn and sulk? And all these things are going back and forth. And, and for ages, this debate has gone on. 
But today I want us to understand what is going on in heaven is really the distinguishing marks of true worship. I want to come at this passage with two very basic uh, uh, assumptions. Number one, if anyone has worship right, it's those who are around the throne of God. Amen? Secondly, we were created to worship God. And deep down, whether you admit it today or not, deep down within our heart is this longing to worship the one true, living, holy, just, righteous, and loving God. And with those two assumptions, I want us to see these three distinguishing features of true worship this morning. And so I'm going to kind of be jumping through this passage And we're going to look at these three distinguishing marks of of true worship. And the first is this. True worship is preoccupied with God. In other words, it's all about, for, and to God. True worship has nothing to do with me. And you're going, boy, is that right, Pastor Jeff? We know that has nothing but here's the same thing it has nothing to do with you either see for worship to be authentic for worship to be genuine for it to be true for it to be heavenly worship it is preoccupied first and foremost with God and I hear today over and over and over again and I got to be honest with you I'm just as guilty as the next person so please hear me I'm not putting you down I'm including this and putting all of us down it's easy to say well I like the drums well I dislike those drums Well, I like the guitar. Well, I do not like that electric guitar. Well, I like the hymns. I like the choruses. I like it when we worship and and raise our hands. I like it when we sit down and just sing out of the hymn books. I like, I, me, me, I, 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 me, me, I, I, me. See, if worship is going to be genuine... It is first and foremost preoccupied with God. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with you. It is all focused on God. And I want to point out some things in this, in this passage that, that I want to, to say it is preoccupied, uh, preoccupation with God. First of all, notice in this passage that worship is, first of all, for God. Now, as I mentioned earlier... It is the throne room of God. John is invited by the risen lamb in verse 1 of chapter 4 to come up, to come up, to to be elevated, which is going to bring greater illumination in this whole subject of worship. He says, come up. But what does he see? This throne. Did you know that in chapters 4 and 5, the word throne is mentioned 19 times, which says to you and me that there's something that is the focal point here about the throne of God. It, 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 the, the throne is the center of everything that goes on in chapters 4 and 5 in the book of Revelation. It is the focus. That is to say, everything else is these concentric circles that we're going to talk about in a while uh, that, that all look back to the throne because worship is for God. It's not for you. It's not for me. 
We come to worship as we say we do, and often we come, though, asking this question, what can I get out of worship this morning? Right? But is that right? Should not the question be, what can I bring to God in my worship this morning? You see what I'm saying? It's for God. God is the focal point, not me. If I come with the mentality that I've got to get something out of worship, then I'm coming for the wrong person. I'm worshiping myself, not the Heavenly Father. When I make worship about me, it's not authentic, it's not genuine, it's not true worship. Because first and foremost, worship is preoccupied with God. Because worship is for God. But second, notice, worship is to God. Look at verse 8 of chapter 4. Verse 8 of chapter 4. We have here this, this first expression of worship. By the way, there are five expressions of worship in chapters 4 and 5. The first two are expressions of worship that are focused on the sovereign God. The second two are expressions of worship focused on the risen lamb. And the fifth and final one is is focused on both the sovereign God and the risen lamb. So notice it's all about God or the lamb. But notice in verse 8, it is about God. What what do the uh, four living creatures say continually? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. What part of that is anything about the four living creatures? Nothing of it. It's all about God. See, it's about God. He is first and foremost holy, holy, holy. He is separate from the rest of creation. He is above and beyond. All of created things in the universe are, are totally, totally apart from the one holy God. He is so far above and beyond anything we can imagine or comprehend, including He is for above and beyond any kind of inkling of sin so there's this recognition about god he's holy but he's also almighty in fact we use the term omnipotent he is all powerful there is nothing our god cannot do amen there's a cef song i think my god is so big so strong and so mighty there's nothing our god can good okay anyway we are, we're not here to sing anymore, but, but we are going to sing. But there's this idea, he's omnipotent. But notice, who was and is and is to come. He is eternal. There was never a time that there was not God, and there will never be a time that there is not God. He, is, he was, is, and always will be. Because worship is preoccupied with God. It's for God, and it's about God. But notice... One other thing in this preoccupation with God, it is to God. Notice verse 11 of chapter 4. Notice what happens. It's no longer, by the time you get to verse 11, it's no longer simply about God. It is directed to God. It's not talking of God in the third person, but it's using the term you. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. It's to God. 
Worship is preoccupied with God and that it is for Him. We recognize it's not for us, it's for Him. And we come in and it's about Him. We sing and we, and we focus on the truths of who God is, but it is also in directness to Him. To, we, we, we worship to God. We don't worship to each other. We don't worship to the, to the music leader. We don't worship the drums or the electric guitar or whatever else we might want to worship. It's all to God. We worship Him. And so we understand that if worship is going to be true, if it's going to be authentic, if it's going to be real, as the Word of God reveals it to us around the throne of God Himself, it has got to be a preoccupation first and foremost with God. Not me, not you. It's a preoccupation with God. But secondly, as we look at these truths, I want you to see this as well. True worship, get ready for this, is corporate in nature. You know that Revelation is the book in which we see the most praise and worship going on aside from the Psalms. And did you know that if you go through the whole book of Revelation and you point out the times in which worship takes place, there is no individual person worshiping. It is all corporate. We have people today, and I get it, I understand, and there's a truth that I can relate to. We have people today that say, I worship God much better when I'm outside, when I'm in the woods, when I'm whatever, boating, <laughs> right? When I'm shopping. Well, I don't think anybody's ever closer to God when you're shopping, right? But we have people that talk about me. For me personally, when I'm doing this or when I'm doing that, that's when I worship God best. But see, here's what that statement means. If you follow that statement through, here's what I'm telling you this statement means. That corporate worship really is there to aid in my own personal worship. In other words, what's most important is my personal worship of God. It's about me being preoccupied with God. That's what people are saying by that term. So corporate worship in that case is just there to help aid in my personal worship. So here's how the reasoning goes. I don't go to church anymore because the worship doesn't do a thing for me. Seriously, it's not a joke, it's true. I've heard it before. Oh, I don't go to that church anymore because, man, I just didn't get anything out of the worship. Which is saying the corporate worship service at church is there to aid me in my own personal worship of God. What's most important is my own personal worship of God. But I would submit to you that aside from a few times in all of the scriptures... Worship is done corporately. It's done corporately, so let's tweak that a bit. Instead of thinking that the corporate worship service there is, is there to aid my personal worship, what we need to do is twist it and recognize that my personal worship of God is there as an aid in the corporate worship of God. What is most important is the corporate worship of God. It's a little weak, but I'll take it. It's the corporate worship of God. And I want to just show you something. In this text, in, in, these, in these expressions of worship, you'll notice that it starts with the focal point of the throne, but then you have the four living creatures who praise God in chapter 4, verse 8. It's the four living creatures that do it, right? 
They're immediately around the throne. But notice the concentric circles that go out and have how it becomes more and more inclusive and more and more corporate. You have the four, and then you have the 24 elders who are around the throne. And they praise next in verse 11 of chapter 4. And then together they all praise Together they all praise. It's the the four living creatures and the 24 elders that give praise. And then you get to chapter 5, and by the time you get to verse 12, it is myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of angels who are now involved in this worship, this this praise ceremony. You see how more corporate this is getting? It's not the corporate, it's not the individual uh, focus. It It is broadening in how many people are getting involved in this worship service until finally you get to verse 13 of chapter 5 and it's every created thing on the earth under the earth in the sea under the sea in all of the universe everybody's joining in in this worship song everybody every created thing i want you to see that by the characteristic of heavenly worship true worship is corporate in nature in other words It is all about coming together and giving Him our worship corporately. That's what's priority. Yes, I would encourage you to worship God on your own. But I would encourage you to do it so you're ready to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ so that we corporately can go vertical and worship God together. That's what it's all for. True worship is really corporate in nature. And I would encourage you to do a study. Like I said, aside from a few times in Scripture where individuals worship, you will see that most often it is a group of people. It is a group of people. That's why I believe Jesus says where two or three are gathered. It's this corporate idea, I'm there in your midst. Not that he's not in our midst when we're on our own, but there's something unique that happens when we come together corporately to worship are you with me? Okay, so, so understand this worship is, is corporate in nature. And, and I, I just want to leave you with one final point. The, the reason why I believe this so much is I believe corporate worship gets us ready for heaven. Listen, brothers and sisters, when we get to heaven, we're not going to be individually worshiping God. We're going to be gathered around the throne like what we're reading about here in Revelation 4 and 5, and we are going to join in with every created being in and on and throughout the ages, and we are going to worship the one true living God. And when we come together in corporate worship here on earth, it's just a readying for that time. Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says, let every saint praise him, but especially the congregation of saints, the more the better, for it is more like heaven. It is more like heaven. So I would tell you, we need to change our mentality about individual worship versus corporate worship. Please, please, please worship God on your own, absolutely. But don't think that is the goal. The goal is corporate worship. Allow individual worship to be an aid in your corporate worship together. Let's do that, okay? So understand, there's this corporate idea. But then finally, here's one that I think maybe in a Baptist church we haven't talked enough about. (laughs) I love, by the way, 
I talk about being Baptist, and, and I love being Baptist, uh, except for when it becomes my identity. My first and foremost identity is I'm a Jesus follower, okay? I'm a Baptist in that I hold to the doctrine of, of Baptists, but I also don't like that Baptists tend to be dead. There's a joke that I remember from Bible school, you know, in First Thessalonians 4, when it talks about the dead being raised first in Christ. The joke goes, that's why Baptists are going first. Because they're dead. I, I would submit to you honestly, brothers and sisters, that another true, true um, characteristic of worship, another distinguishing feature of true worship is that it is passionate in its expression. In other words, it's not, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Seriously, we come in, guys, if you look around during worship, you'll see that. You don't have the opportunity to be up here sometimes. But if you look around, and maybe it's even you, we come in and we sing these songs, and it's like, okay, what time's dinner? Did I turn the oven on? Right? Am I ready? What time are we getting out? Is he going to go late today? And, and we're just constantly thinking about other things. But I would submit to you that in heaven, heavenly worship is passionate. It is not, oh, when are we done here? I'm getting tired of seeing this beautiful throne. This is, this is crazy, all this holy, holy, holy talk, you know. I'm ready to go eat lunch. No, that's not going on in heaven. What's going on in heaven is they are amazed by the throne of God. That they are passionate as they respond. So let me give you my definition of worship. Now, this is a, a very general definition. It's a, it, it's a much more could be said here. In fact, if you go on the internet this afternoon and you were to look up the definition of worship, you would see crazy, crazy amount of definitions given to worship. And some very specific, so they are like a paragraph long, you know. Mine is just a few words, but I think it captures it. Here's my definition. Worship is a heart response to the truth of God. How do I get that? Remember when Jesus is at the well and the, and the Samaritan woman comes out and as Samaritans, they worshiped on a different mountain than in Jerusalem. And that was always the big thing between the Jews and the Samaritans was the place of worship. And, and so she talks uh, to, to Jesus about, you know, where should we worship? We worship here. You guys worship in Jerusalem. Where should we worship? And what does Jesus say? There's coming a day when it doesn't matter. There's coming a day. Because here's what true worship is. The hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father, listen, in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. There are two things that I would say must be included in our genuine worship. Truth but my heart responds to that, my spirit responding to that. See, we are really, really good in our tradition of holding forth the truth. We hold the truth. We, we make sure we have the truth. We make sure we get rid of anybody who teaches falsehood or correct them. We, we make sure we have the truth, but too often we have this, can I say it this way, empty-hearted 
intellectualism. We come off so knowledgeable about what the truth is that we don't respond to it. See, we have empty-hearted intellectualism. But neither should we have empty-headed emotionalism. Some people have given that complaint. Well, I don't want to raise my hands because that's just emotionalism. And I say, yeah, if you don't have truth, absolutely. But when the two are together, when there is content that is true, and there is a response to that content that involves my heart, that's genuine worship. It is a heart response to the truth of what we get to read and teach and study and memorize. It is my heart responding to this truth, not just gaining more intellectual knowledge so that I can amaze my friends or debate with those who are of different persuasion than me. No, it's to respond to that truth. Part of that response is in a heart of worship. See, in this two verses, these two chapters of Revelation, we have truth galore. Holy, holy, holy. He's almighty. He was and is and is to come. He is the creator of all things. Therefore, he is worthy of all honor and praise and glory. And, and then we talk about the lamb who was slain so that he could shed his blood to ransom a whole nation, tribe, and tongue who would become a kingdom of God forever. We, we recognize there is many, many, many truths that are proclaimed in these two chapters. But what now I want to show you is the response. I want you to see that there is passion in the response. First in this, there is repetition. Did you hear me? There is repetition. Some folk, and I, and I understand this full well, some folks say, I don't like that song, it's too repetitive. And I want to say, have you read Psalm 136? And I want to say, have you not seen what the four living creatures are doing continually, day and night? They do not stop saying it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They say that continually, day and night. You want to talk about repetition? That's repetition. But why are they repeating it? Not just because it makes sense to put, you know, repetition because musically it makes sense. No, it's repetition because they are amazed by the truth. They can't get over it. They continually proclaim it because it is so amazing to them that they are responding in repetition. I would submit that to you and I would suggest that the next time you complain about a song being too repetitive... You, you consider that it doesn't mean it's not biblical. That, there might be other reasons why it's not biblical. But just because it's repetitive, that doesn't mean it's not biblical. I would submit to you repetition in ways that is responding to the truth is actually a sign of passion in what we're singing and how we're worshiping. But secondly, notice there's not only repetition, but there's this intensity. I, and I would say go back to those concentric circles, the four the 24, the 4 and the 24, myriads and myriads, and then every created thing on the, in the whole universe that is praising. And i got to tell you, I cannot, believe, I cannot help but believe that this is growing in intensity as more and more people are involved. In fact, I would submit to you, look with me at chapter 5, and notice in verse 12, 
They sang it with a loud voice. It was loud in that place. It was loud because they were responding in passion to the truth of who God is. And when you respond at a football game, when your team is winning, guess what you do? You get loud. Oh, did I wake you up? I'm sorry. I got too loud, huh? So I would tell you that there's this rise in intensity revealing that there is is passion. But there's one other thing that I'd like to make note of. The posture. This response, uh, this passionate response is not just in that there's repetition and there's this rise in intensity, but notice they do posture here. The 24 elders, they fall down (laughs) before the throne. They fall down, which is a sign of humility. They're recognizing, I am unworthy. I have got to get down before the Lord. And what does it say they do? They, they cast their crowns before the Lord. Now, many, many people have given their understanding of what that means. Here's my understanding. A crown was a sign of dignity and honor. And I believe what is going on is these 24 elders are before the Lord and they are laying down whatever dignity and whatever honor they may have in front of the one who is only worthy of such dignity and such honor. King David danced before the Lord with hardly anything on. In fact, some people think he was totally naked. And when his wife got upset, what does he say? I'll become more undignified than that. I will lay down my dignity before the feet of the one who is alone worthy of dignity and honor. And I would say to you, in that posture, there is an understanding of passion. This is the one who is worthy of praise. This is the one that I'm humiliated before. This is the one who I lay down my dignity for. This is the one who I get intense for. That's genuine worship. It is passionate. Passionate in its response. It's not just empty-hearted intellectualism which I'm, 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 I'm afraid that sometimes in our tradition that's what we lean heavy on, empty-hearted intellectualism. But neither is it empty-headed emotionalism. It's a wonderful, holy, and sacred convergence of the, true, of, the, of the two. It is content and passion merged together. It is a passion that is in response to the truth of who God is. And if we are really longing to be genuine worshipers, we need to understand these three things today. First of all, worship is preoccupied with God. It is all about Him. It has nothing to do with me. When I come into this place on Sunday morning, if my heart is right to worship God, then I don't care what songs are selected. I don't care whether we stand or whether we sit. I don't care whether hands are being raised or we kneel in front of God. I don't care because it's not about me. It's about Him. And if He is pleased with what goes on in that morning service, then guess what? I am too whether it was my style of music, whether it was my posturing, whether it was, whether it was too loud or too quiet for me, I'm okay with it as long as He is pleased by it. 
That's what it means to be preoccupied with God. If I come in on Sundays and my heart is right and I want to enter into genuine worship, then I'm going to enjoy the fact that I'm with my brothers and sisters in Christ and together corporately we are worshiping the one true living God. And I'm watching other people respond differently than me. And instead of going, well, they shouldn't be doing that. Why are they doing that? I'm going, praise God, they're worshiping, right? And then if I'm going to come in with a right heart on Sunday morning and I'm going to enter into genuine worship, I'm going to have to express it. <laughs> Not just, I love you, Lord. But, but Lord, I love you. I can't even believe you even thought of me, let alone love me back. Love me first. See, there's this, this response that is going to enter into my heart, that's going to take place when I'm here worshiping God, if it's going to be true, true worship. And so let me close by saying this. Thursday is coming. Thanksgiving is coming. It's an opportunity for us to give thanks. But in that thanks, Thanksgiving is a part of worship. It's a part of praise. And so I want to encourage each one of you here today to go into Thanksgiving in true worship. And so let me encourage you in a few things. First of all, prepare your heart. Be ready. Don't just, okay, now I know there's meaning here, but I want to be careful. I want to be careful because I know there's meaning. But listen, don't just all of a sudden at the last minute as you're sitting on the table go, let's see, what are we going to do? Oh, I know what we're going to do. Tell me why you're thankful. I mean, that's, we do that. And, and it can have its place and it has meaning. But I would encourage you to prepare your heart before that meal before you get together with whoever you're going to get together. And I'm going to encourage you to make sure your heart is right and you're coming to Thanksgiving Day with a heart that's ready to enter into genuine worship. But I would also encourage you, those of you that have younger kids, prepare your family. Prepare your family. Help them understand that Thanksgiving is to be done more than one day a year. <laughs> Help them to understand worship. Help them to know and see what worship is because you exemplify it for them. I would encourage you, if you can, <coughs> excuse me, maybe, maybe select a passage of Scripture that you meditate on between now and, and Thursday that you're going to read at the Thanksgiving table. And maybe, maybe you, you look at Psalm 136, which is one that if you want to, you can write down Psalm 136, and the kids or the, the other family members, can, 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 it can be a uh, responsive reading. And at the end of every verse of that psalm, it says, for his loving kindness endures forever and ever. For his loving kindness endures forever and ever. And that could be a responsive reading. You could read the first part. And the rest could read that second part. Maybe you want to read Psalm, or Psalm 95, which Kim read today, which is a whole idea of worship and, and giving thanks and, and what that looks like to kneel down before the Lord, our God, our Maker. And, and maybe that's one thing you, you want to do. I don't know what it is, but prepare your heart and prepare your family to really worship. And then I would encourage you, next Sunday I plan on giving you a fourth a, a fourth characteristic of true worship, a, a fourth distinguishing feature. And, and so I would encourage you to prepare your hearts to come next week and be ready to worship, not just in song, but as we open the Word of God together. Will you do that? Okay, good. Some of you, maybe one, two. Good.
I'm glad I didn't waste my breath today. I'm kidding. Would you pray with me? And then we are going to enter into a time of worship now. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come and, and to be totally honest with you, Lord, I, I blow it. I blow it when it comes to, to going vertical and, and just focusing on, on you. And, and I would imagine there are some in this place who do the same. And so, Father, today as we have a few minutes left and as we enter into this time of singing, I pray, Father, that you would be pleased. That it wouldn't matter what we like or don't like. But that what, what you see right now as you look into each and every heart in this place would bring you pleasure, would bring you joy as we recognize that worship is for you. It's, it's about you and it's to you. I pray, Father, that our hearts would really reflect the truth of what we're singing and that, Father, we would be expressive even more so than perhaps we usually are or maybe even a little bit because we usually aren't. And, Father, I pray that today as we get to do this thing together, that not only would you be pleased, but in so doing this together, would you not unite our hearts in worship? And Father, as we prepare for Thursday, this, this wonderful day that we get to get together with friends and family, I, I pray, Father, your, your leading as we desire to make that a day of great praise. And I pray that you'd prepare our hearts this week to come back next week and enter into a time of incredible worship once again. We thank you for your love toward us and that it's all because of you that we can, we can worship together. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.